Lord God, we thank you for Marty. We thank you for his journey. Um, that is real, that he's honest, um, about his strengths and about his weaknesses. And Lord, we thank you that when we come honestly to you, Lord, you engage us. So Lord, we thank you for your word that you've placed on Marty's heart and mind this morning. And we look forward, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what you want to say to us through Marty this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. Um, gee, I feel like a tele-evangelist, the camera, a few staff around. Jeez, uh, when, I, when I write a message... Um, I have some really turbulent times. You know, the Lord wrestles with me. He deals with me. You know, we go really deep. So I wrote you all a short story, and I wanted to start with this. There once was a builder named Barry who had a business building the finest houses all over the Central Coast. Barry's best employee and lifetime friend, Sam, worked for Barry and his business for over 30 years. The day came when Barry retired and handed over his business to his son, Jason. Before Barry retired, he shook Sam's hand and thanked him for his loyalty and all the hard work over the years. They reminisced on some of the beautiful houses they'd built over the years and Barry promised Sam that Jason would look after him and that he would receive a nice bonus when it was time for him to retire in a few years. Business continued as usual and a few years later, Sam told Jason that he was ready to retire. Jason acknowledged the bonus that his father had promised. He would need Sam, however, he would need Sam to build one more house so that he could get the bonus together. Sam told him, I don't want to build another house, it's time for me to retire. Jason made it clear to Sam that if he didn't build the house, he could not afford to give Sam the bonus. Resentfully, Sam agreed to build one more house. On the first day of building the house, Sam became extremely resentful that Jason did not manage his father's business properly and didn't have his bonus ready like agreed. To make things worse, the house was to be built on a beautiful waterfront property that Sam would never be able to afford to retire on. So Sam came up with a plan to kill two birds with one stone. He would cut corners and the costs of the building materials, pocketing the retirement bonus that he deserved and leaving Jason with all sorts of headaches for the business down the track. And so he did. Sam cut corners on the foundations of the house that couldn't be seen. He also used his building connections to get cheap building materials and he pocketed the profit. When the house was finished, Jason asked Sam to meet him at the house to go over a few things. He sounded concerned. As the two men stood on the balcony, Sam defensively said to Jason, what's the problem? There's no problem, Sam, Jason replied. Then, Je and then Jason handed Sam a set of keys and he said, this house is your bonus. Thank you so much for working so hard for my family all these years. Sam didn't know what to say as he held the keys and looked back at the useless house he had just built. Now, which direction do I take this sermon? How do I end up at the gospel? Have you ever cut corners? 
Have you ever mistrusted someone to find out that they had your best interest at heart all along? How do you take directions when you're betrayed? What sort of foundations do you have? What sort of house are you building? Have you ever built something really crappy and had to rip it down and start again? Have you ever let your ego get in the way of loyalty and friendship? Have you ever been too hasty to get what you wanted? Have you ever taken matters into your own hands and ended up with a big mess? The list goes on and on. But I think this is what I'm going to run with. Do you get your worth from your performance? Do you get your worth from your performance? Let's have a quick look at the performance of some of the biblical greats. Noah obeyed and laboured for God to the point of humiliation. Everyone thought he was a madman. Gary talked about him last week. A life of faithfulness, all that hard work. And when the flood was over and Noah found dry land, one of the first things he did was get drunk and pass out nude. Does that undo everything that he did? Abraham, a friend of God, the father of the faith, was promised a son, but he jumped the gun. He cut corners. He had a child, Ishmael, with his servant Hagar. And then Sarah had a child, Isaac, as promised, and then kicks Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. Moses, a great man of God, had a filthy temper. He killed a man. David, anointed by God to be one of the greatest kings on earth, has an affair with Bathsheba, kills her husband Uriah to cover up the pregnancy and then keeps her for himself. Paul, as we know, killed followers of Christ before writing most of the New Testament. Scandalous, scandalous stuff. Poor performance by some of the people who are the closest to God anyone has ever been through history. Don't you love how God didn't keep the juicy details of the sin of his elect out of the Bible? I've been the cause of scandalous things in my life. That will never disqualify me for being used for the kingdom of God sometimes I worry that I'm not good enough of course I'm good enough if God can use all those misfits and rejects in the Bible to conquer nations what's he going to do with me at the end of the day it's not about my performance it's about Christ's performance so if, so if it's about Christ's performance and not mine, why do I sometimes get in this posture where I feel like I'm owed something? Let's have a look at this. Jess is going to read a parable for us. Jesus tells a great parable and depending on my attitude, my perception can change of this. Jess, if you could read the parable of the workers of the vineyard, Matthew 20, 1, 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner 
He went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius day, a day, he sent him into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found some others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and you, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it, not is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Thanks, Jess. I remember reading this parable once and thinking, I'd feel pretty ripped off. You know, if I worked all day and the bloke next to me worked for an hour and he got paid the same. When we're working in the world, not only can we take an attitude of what we think we deserve, but we can sit in the judge's chair and think what other people deserve. The point is this. Jesus is talking about working in the kingdom of heaven. Note, I've written a note here, friendly reminder. The kingdom of heaven is now, friends. Not just a blissful destination after this life, it's now. When we, are in his, when we are in his vineyard, we don't look at the person next to us and think, they're working harder than me, they deserve more blessing, they deserve more favour, they deserve more pay. You know, Matthew 5, 45 says that God causes rain to fall on the righteous and unrighteous. I see people everywhere getting blessed and they have no interest in the kingdom of God. Sometimes I wonder and I get sooky and I'm like, where's my blessings? You know, I need to stop thinking about what I'm owed. What if I was labouring in that vineyard to make Jesus a bottle of wine for dinner? I would work for free. I would work for free. Why? Because his love compels me compelling means something evokes my interest it has my attention I admire it in a powerful irresistible way 
Something evokes my interest. It has my attention. I admire it in a powerful, irresistible way. How much is Jesus compelling us? Irresistible. There is so much in this world that is irresistible, friends. A wise man once said to me, Marty, wisdom is staying away from the things that make you weak. I have never, ever heard anyone say, I followed Jesus once for a while, but he made me weak, so I stopped. Never heard it. If we fully make Jesus the Lord of our life, we will never be weak against the irresistible things of this world. I still have a long way to go. That's what I mean when I I wrestle with God when I write sermons. He deals with me, you know. But why do I beat myself up, you know, when I make mistakes? Why didn't God hide the mistakes of his mighty men and women in the Bible? Why do I want to hide my mistakes instead of bringing them out into the light so they can be dealt with? What am I afraid of? That people will find out that I'm not perfect? That they'll realise that I'm human just like they are? God is always working on me. He doesn't give up on me because my performance is weak in certain areas of my life. I've got this, I've been going through some stuff lately and I've got this written on my mirror at home. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Sometimes I can fall into the trap. I measure my worth from my works. That's religion. That's religion. We're not called to religion. It's all about falling in love with Jesus. And when we have a strong relationship with him, we are compelled. We function out of a different space. We take a different posture to release and receive good things from him. We release the not so good and we receive his goodness. We have a different outlook. We have a different attitude. We are looking through his eyes. We can hear through his ears. Let me tell you something, kids. I'm a recovered drug addict. I've had it all. I've tried it all. And there is no high like the most high. There is no high like the most high. I promise you. I promise you that. It's a guarantee. I need to focus on his performance. I need to take the focus off me and put it back onto him. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. All the glory, honour and riches, they're his. They're not mine. He invites me into his inheritance. It has nothing to do with my performance and everything to do with his performance. Like the story I shared with you, the father and the son had an amazing plan for Sam. He just needed to trust them till the end. God has a great plan for you and me. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, 
and no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God prepared for those who love him. Translation, you can't comprehend the wonderful things that God has planned for you. How was Sam supposed to know what Barry and Jason had in store for him? He couldn't have known. But maybe, maybe if he, he would have heard something through the grapevine if his faith and trust had been dwelling in God's vineyard. Maybe he would have had a sense that something good was going to happen. Maybe he wouldn't have cared because the presence of the Lord was enough. Who cares? Dwelling in the presence of the Lord is enough. He invites us into his plan. For everyone sitting out in Facebook world right now um, who are thinking, you know, what is God's plan for me? I'm about to tell you. I'm about to tell you the plan. Matthew 4, 9, Matthew 4.19. This is his plan for all of us, friends. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. That is the plan for you and me. Bringing his presence into other people's lives through kindness, care and compassion. Showing his face and he will do the heavy lifting. We don't have to worry about quotas, about what ministry we're going to serve in. That's the great part of following him. He will show us where to go in good time. Doors will open, doors will close. All we need to do is seek his voice. That's all we need to do. He didn't say, come and bring your good ideas to me because I'm fresh out. He said, come follow me. Jesus doesn't need our plan. He has one. He asked us to follow it. I had a bit of a laugh with Andrew the other day when we were going through this stuff and um, he said, I reminded him of him in his early days. I said, I want to do God's will, but I want to do it my way. You know, does that mean I'm getting there? Am I making progress? Of course I am because he loves me. He doesn't give up on me. He's always doing a work on me. I'm on this journey of sanctification, you know. He doesn't disqualify me because I make mistakes. He loves me like a good father. We must trust him by waiting for his timing to see the plan come into reality. Habakkuk 2.3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Do we trust, do we trust God? You know, do, do we actually trust him because our timing's out of whack because we want it now? Sam didn't like the timing. He wanted to retire and he wanted what he was owed. He wanted what was promised. So he took matters into his own hands and he was left there holding only what he had built. And that's what we get. At the end of the day, 
if we don't seek God, we don't want to follow, we're going to be left with only what, we, what we've built. I'm really looking forward, guys, to getting church back together, you know, um, and, and seeing you all. And, you know, I'm looking forward to a haircut and a beard trim and all that normal stuff again, you know. It's um, really, I really miss you all, you know. Um, so what we'd usually do is, is have a call to the mercy seat. You know, which is something I think in the salvos we don't we don't utilize as we as we should. You know, sometimes I've been held back. You know, I'm like, oh, if I go down to the mercy seat, people will know I'm struggling. You know, if I go to the mercy seat, people will know I'm grateful. You know, it's just just got to get rid of that noise and just it's it's all about Him. It's got to get rid of the noise. It's all about Him. So if you're at home listening today, just get in a posture. Get on your knees, you know, close your eyes and just, it was said here today, you know, we need, we need to slow down. I'm really bad for it. I'm, I'm quick all the time. I'm so quick. I need to slow down so I could hear his voice. So let's pray. Heavenly Father. Help us to focus on your performance. You did it all for us. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Help us to live lives of faith that is not contaminated. Help us to push fear aside, whatever, whatever we're worried about. Help us to get in a posture so we can feel your presence, so we can take that to other people and be fishers of men. And just in, you know, horrible times, we can show kindness, love and mercy to people. Show your face. It's not us, it's you. It's you working through us, Lord. We thank you for everything that you do to do for us. And we praise this in Jesus' name. Amen.